Hey, everybody. Welcome to the book leads impactful books for life and leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Jaramillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books that have impacted the lives of the people in my network. So it's friends, colleagues, people that I've known for a while, people that I've only met recently, anyone that's game to show the value of, of books that they want to share with me. So these are great leads that provide that insight into those books. And I want to know which book it is that's contributed the most to who they are as a person, as a worker, as an entrepreneur, whether it's one that they've read or one that they've written. Uh, in this particular series, I cover three categories of books. The first one where they share a book with me that I haven't read. A second one that we've both read together, whether specifically for the series or in our past lives before the series. And then the third category is when I speak to authors and sometimes publishers uh, about books that they've put out there, been a part of, that they want to get that value message out there, share with this audience, and just kind of, you may read a book, but there's something about them sharing their insight in their tone, in their voice. So that's why I love having these conversations. In any case, the guest that I will be having today is an author, and my guest today is Nicole Wire. And Nicole is a coach, podcaster, and educator at her core. She has an MA in international and intercultural management and is the founder of Root to Rise Coaching. Nicole stepped out of the dean's office on a mission to transform educational institutions from ones that foster depletions, depletion to ones that promote emotional and physical wellness, nurture healthy organizational cultures, and honor our individual needs. And I was lucky enough to meet Nicole towards the start of the pandemic. We've never met in person, yet another person that uh, I haven't met in person. Uh, we met... Towards the, the beginning of the pandemic, when we were in, attending online forums, online discussions, SIP sessions, Connects Exchange, mm. I've mentioned those communities here before, um, and we've we've crossed paths in those in those different uh, arenas. And then she saw what I was doing with the series. She's been a part of a book, contributing to a book that she'll get into shortly. So I wanted to, knowing her history, seeing what she shared in all those different communities, I know that she's somebody, especially with the nature of her work, uh, whose brain I want to pick and get more insight and learn more about. So Nicole, thank you so much for joining me. John, I'm so excited to be here with you today. I love talking about books. I've been a, an avid reader my whole life. I'm still one of the old school people who actually picks up a book. I have yet to trans, I have yet to make the leap into like the Kindle piece because for me, there's something about opening the pages and holding it in my hand that is yeah. incredibly special for me. Um, and I'm excited yeah, I to be here today. I've tried the whole ebook thing and yes, they have, you know, where you can, uh, bookmark pages and you can highlight things and this and that but like you said there's nothing there's nothing like grabbing a book even smelling the book like feeling it between mm -hmm. your fingers and and just i love marking up the margins with with the greatest the notes and ideas that i i've found in those books mm -hmm. so i'm in your court i'm on that <laughs> side of the of that conversation i just can appreciate you know as you can see i'm just appreciative of the book experience yeah. but Again, thank you for joining me. Why don't we start off by you telling me who you are today, your day-to-day -day work. What does that look like? What does it look like, the work that you do with your clients, just to get a sense for who you are today? And then we can dive into who you have been in your life and what led you to contributing to the book uh, that we're going to discuss. Fantastic. It's a great question. And I think sometimes it can also feel like this daunting question of who are you at this point in your life? And yeah. I would say that I am at a really 
exciting point in my own process of becoming. I'm very different. I'm a very different person than I was 20 years ago, right out of grad school, trying to figure it out, trying to find my professional path. What I did is I kind of stumbled into education and loved that world. And what I realized is one of the things that made it so special for me was that I got to walk alongside and partner with my students and their families as students grasped material, figured out who they were, figured out who they wanted to be, um, and navigated life, which sometimes meant in the role that I was in, they had made some really unfortunate decisions and kind of chosen their way into my office. And so some of that work was also about what is our own process of acknowledging that we're human, feeling terrible about a choice that we have made, and learning from that experience. So when we're faced with a similar situation, again, we make a different choice. So I did that for about 22 years in education. I had no idea at that time that what I was really doing was coaching. Mm. <laughs> did not occur to me until I was late in my educational career and kept feeling as though there was something else I was supposed to do. And I had this kind of whisper of, there's something bigger, there's something different. And I gave myself time and space to figure it out. And what I realized is I loved the partnerships. I loved being in education. But one of the things that I had seen in every institution that I had served was this beautiful mission statement of the organization and all of these core values. And at the same time, we had those unspoken core values in the culture about mm -hmm. you need to be available all the time. You need to work all the time. Um, you are a great colleague if you are constantly giving. And what I know is that results in cultures that can become really unhealthy and retention goes down and turnover goes up. And we tried to solve it and we kept as leaders putting our heads together, how do we address this? But we couldn't talk about our role in it. And in my mind, there's such a connection between leadership and culture and retention and turnover and morale. Mm -hmm. So after thinking about it, I had this moment of, you understand education, you've been in it. Perhaps you can be the voice that comes back in and says, we need to have a conversation about how we're living and how we're leading because we're having a larger impact than we realize on our entire school community. So that was the catalyst to step out of the Dean's office to go into coaching. And that's a lot of the work that I do not only with my one-on-one -on -one clients, but that I do when I work with schools and in a lot of the workshops that I lead is to start the conversation about Am I neglecting or nurturing myself? And how does that then translate into how I'm teaching my lessons, how I am as a colleague, how I'm functioning as a leader? So I am now in the coaching and consulting realm as a burnout prevention and recovery coach because we have an awful lot of people around the world who are what I would say deep fried extra crispy mm. <laughs> and we need a path forward because where we are right now isn't sustainable. And that's also a lot of the work that I do with clients. When did you make the leap to that kind of coaching, Nicole? I made the leap. Um, I stepped out in 2018 after the academic year ended. 
So I really started networking and working on business building in the fall of 2018. So it's like you got your coaching and consulting house in order just in time for a pandemic. Right. Yes, I did. Just in time. <laughs> yep. Trial by fire. You want <laughs> you want it to coach was... on burnout? Like the universe is like, here you go. Well, and I think what was so interesting about that was when, you know, when COVID showed up as a colleague, as one that no one hired and no one welcomed into their community, um, it threw everyone into a tailspin and the impact on educators was absolutely phenomenal because many of them went home on a Friday, heard yeah. Friday night that starting Monday, how you teach and how you interact with your students will change dramatically. Suddenly you will be virtual and we don't know how long it's going to take or you're going to be preparing lessons and you know, faculty are going to be dropping them off at students' houses or, or families are going to drive by and sort of pick up an envelope. And yeah. what ended up happening is three academic years of mm -hmm. significant disruption in teaching, learning, leading, supporting colleagues, supporting student learning, supporting families. And that upheaval has been akin to drinking from a fire hose pretty consistently for three academic years. So now some schools are in this place of feeling a little bit more normal or stabilized, if you will. And they still understand that this is something they need to address, but there are still things that are higher up on the priority list. Like let's get back into school. So it's been, it's been a really yeah. interesting time for all of my former colleagues and friends who are still in education and me figuring out different ways to just hold space and support them. So obviously I can tell that your audience could be administrators, could be mm -hmm. teachers, could be students. So what's, what's the kind of breakout between when you work with um, administrators and or mm -hmm. teachers, adults versus when you work with students? Great question. Actually, most of my of work curiosity. right now, most of my work right now is really with is really with educators. I'm interestingly enough, I'm finding that a lot of my former students have been reaching out to me over the past year, year and a half, yeah. and some of it has been around um, exhaustion and overwhelm and trying to like trying to figure out how to change jobs and being at some really interesting points in their lives. And that's been a beautiful opportunity for me to reconnect with them. But most of my work is with almost anyone who touches education. So mm -hmm. I've been working with um, athletic directors, people in IT, HR professionals, faculty and staff, and also school leadership teams. So I think there's a great opportunity to do work with students as well. Maybe that's part of the next iteration. You may have just planted a seed for me, John. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, to beat the dead horse that I've been beating for like almost all these, almost all of these episodes that I've done, it's just a curiosity, whoever I have in front of me, the work that they do with adults. I'm always, it's always like two pronged in my mind, mm -hmm. handling with grace um, working with the adults to kind of reprogram, to get them back mm -hmm. to a healthy mind state or leadership state, whatever it may be. But at the same time, how do we translate that into tools for the younger generations right. 
So they don't, not to make it easy. I never say to make it easy, but just so they have a more efficient time at dealing with life than we did because we weren't provided those tools. So that's the only reason I bring it up. It's something that I would love to see. And Hey, if I, if I help plant any kind of seed for that in that direction, that's amazing. Um, so to understand a little more about where you are now, mm-hmm. what did your path to now look like? Um, it doesn't have to be day by day, year by year, but what was it, how did your development path start? You know, was it somebody in your family put planting a seed in your mind about which way to develop, grow? Was it education that you picked randomly, but then seemed to work out? What was it that put mm-hmm. you on the path to your career that, you know, in the end led to what you just shared with us? Mm -hmm. That goes back to a couple pivotal moments. Um, One of them is um, my older sister was an attorney and part of me wanted to kind of follow in those footsteps, like do undergrad, go to law school, be an attorney. Mm -hmm. And that was a plan for a long time. And then I went on a study abroad in college and I had talked about it. And my sister is the one who finally said to me, you have talked about this for years. Like you're almost done with college. Like Twitter, get off the twig, go or stop talking about it. And I was like, oof, okay. Like tough love from big sister. Great. Love it. And at the same time, I made the decision to, to spend a semester abroad. And that changed my life from how I saw the world, to how I saw politics, to how I saw culture. It gave me such insight into like the role of the United States in the world and how we're Mm. perceived in other places. And I was studying political science at the time. So it felt like there was this beautiful fusion. And then there was this component of study abroad and international education. And when I came home, one of the things that was so clear to me is that if at all possible, every single student should have an opportunity to study abroad because Mm -hmm. we, we learned so much about who we are and how we think and what we're made of and the culture that we live in when we get outside of it. So I had this like law school study abroad thing. I took the LSATs. It was a pretty humbling experience for me. We'll just (laughs) say that. And so I said, "Hmm, let's go in another direction. And so I found my graduate program in international intercultural management, did a concentration in international education. And that was the plan to be working in international ed and study abroad. Nicole, what, what is that like? I can kind of guess, but what, what is intercultural management? What does that look like? What is its aim? Mm. A lot of our coursework and training was in cross-cultural communication was in, honestly, a lot of things that are really at the core of curriculum today. Mm -hmm. It was a lot about diversity and equity and inclusion and understanding cultures and the different ways that we communicate and organizational development and organizational behavior through also through a lens of when you have a multicultural team or a multicultural constituency, what does that look like? So I felt really lucky 20 some years ago to be in that graduate program and to have built that pedagogy and that foundation, because I also consider myself one of the people who's actually using their degree, because sometimes we get a, we get a degree and we don't use it. And that training and those conversations and that foundation 
I have used throughout my career in education, and I use a lot of it now as well. Yeah, you always seem to be ahead of the curve, whether it's like your multicultural studies, uh, yeah. you know, leading to DEI today, nowadays, mm -hmm. your work in stress, uh, stress and burnout, um, yeah. stress reduction and burnout, and look where we are now. You always seem to be it's like you have a crystal ball or something. <laughs> well, when I was in the dean's office, I had a magic eight ball. And, you know, I used to Those spin things it actually regularly. Work. Look at that. Yeah. I used to spin it regularly. My students used to come in and they'd be like, I have a question. I'd be like, ask the ball first. And so, you know, the magic eight ball has served me well. Um, okay. So was... after your, your multicultural studies, yeah. what was it after that? What, what was, what did your path it, look like after that? Um. I knew that to finish my thesis, I needed to stay in the state of Vermont because if I left close proximity to my graduate school, the likelihood of me writing that paper decreased, um, we're just gonna say exponentially. Mm -hmm. So I had an opportunity to join the faculty at Landmark College um, in Vermont and that opened up an entirely new educational path for me. When I was there, um, at that point, Landmark was the only accredited college in the country for students, for neurodiverse students, for students with learning differences. And so I had this kind of multicultural, cross-cultural pedagogy from grad school. I stepped into a teaching position and a student affairs position at Landmark. And this whole other world of neurodiversity and learning styles and learning differences and creating curriculum for multimodal learners was suddenly in front of me. And that allowed me a chance to start some of those one-on-one -on -one partnerships with students. And that planted a seed, which put me on a student affairs track in education. Okay. So away from the international education. And it put me on this path of not soon, well, not long thereafter, um, stepping into a Dean role. And interestingly enough, <laughs> When I was on that path of um, decided not to do law school, started on a student affairs path, my sister had been an attorney and was mm -hmm. kind of, she was on the student affairs path in, in higher ed. So she was a dean of students at the, at the university and college level, and I was a dean of community life and dean of students at the high school level. So we still were pairing up in ways that I don't think we really figured out was going to happen. So just to back up, um, so your undergraduate Actually, where did you grow up? I'm just I always grew up curious. in Minnesota. I'm I'm a Midwesterner like okay. through and through. Yep. And and you are in Oregon now, right? I'm in Oregon now. Yeah. Um undergraduate was political science? It was political science. Um, where? and that was I finished at the University of Minnesota. Okay. I started at a teeny tiny college in Vermont and then ended up back at the U of M. And at that point, they were, they had even higher enrollment than Ohio state. So I ended up at like one of the largest public universities. And then graduate school in Vermont. It was, it was the school for international training in uh, Brattleboro, Vermont. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I'm sorry, I, I interrupted, uh, but you were talking about how your sister and yourself found, found yourselves kind of at comparable, um, incomparable work, her at the university level, you at, the high school level, then from yeah. there? Um, then from there, it was different opportunities at different institutions. Mostly, I worked most in, mostly in boarding schools. 
which have this incredible like built-in community and you know you're living you're living on campus you have this wonderful community and most of the I mean most of the students are on campus a lot of the faculty and staff are there um, had the privilege to serve at a at an independent school in New Hampshire as the dean of community life and then moved to a boarding school in Northern Michigan because there was a Dean of Students position, which offered me another chance to really grow. And then at that point said, Oof, it's like, I gotta stop moving. <laughs> it, well, it was that. And it was also, um, you know, there's an intensity of living where you work. And in the role that I was in, I was someone who was on call. And I had had friends who had made the jump from boarding schools into day schools. And they kept saying, Nicole, it's kind of magical when your students go home at night and you're not getting the phone call at two o'clock in the morning. And I thought, yeah. Meh. and then I thought, I think I'm going to try that. <laughs> so that took me to Norfolk, Virginia, um, to a day school and being a dean of students there. So I'd, I've been in really different, um, different schools and have just learned so much and taken so much from each of those experiences, and also in really different areas of the country. Well, that's what I was once you said you moved, once I was talking about school and where you went uh, and you were listing the different states in which you worked, I know it's not quite the the difference that you find going from the U.S. to Finland and studying abroad. Yeah. But what do you what do you take away from just moving to different parts? of Because, I mean, you've hit seemingly every yeah. part of the U.S. except, mm -hmm. I think, the Southwest. But right. what do you take from that experience going to all these different, very different places mm. throughout the U.S.? Like what kind of value do you take from those different experiences? I would say that it is such confirmation of all of the different cultures that are present in our country. Um, growing up in the Midwest had a very distinct kind of cultural underpinning. Um, heading out to New England, being in both in Vermont and in New Hampshire and being in part of a country, part of our country that has also really deep history and also part of most of the history that we're taught in schools, which is about, you know, when, when the pilgrims came over. And so being mm -hmm. in that part of the country and being down in Boston and being in New England and seeing some of those places, um, there's a very distinct culture and being in a small state like Vermont and New Hampshire feels very different um, than being in a big metro area. Mm -hmm. And then heading to Michigan um, and being not that far from the Upper Peninsula, it's Midwestern, but there's also some of this more Northern influences in that culture. Um, mm -hmm. And the history again feels very distinct. Um, Going to Norfolk, Virginia was my first venture into the South. And that was, there was some culture shock there, truthfully, just in terms of, again, very rich history, but um, things feeling very, very different for me. Um, mm -hmm. It took me a while to get used to being ma'amed. Um, my students say, yes, ma'am. And I, first couple of times <laughs> I had this moment of like, they can't possibly be you talking little, to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, I just got ma'amed. What is that about? Um, so that like, and that's not, I mean, depending on the tone, it's, yeah. Not, <laughs> yeah. you know, it is, it's, it's a sign of respect and it's an endearment. Although sometimes there were sharp tones and I would say to my students, excuse me, they're like, Oh, sorry. I was like, yeah, I gotta watch that. Yeah. Um, 
but that was very different. And I hadn't lived in like below the Mason Dixon line. I hadn't lived in the South and there is, um, you know, there are, there are parts of our history that are alive and well. It, mm-hmm. I never got used to Confederate flags on the backs of trucks. Yeah. That is something, I mean, I just didn't, the first time I saw it, it was startling to me. I lived there for seven years and it was still this kind of, wow, is, you know, is it historical? Is it not historical? Is it more cultural? Is it, mm-hmm. um, is it steeped in privilege and is it steeped in racism and all of those things? Um, and now I'm in Oregon and it feels like the hmm, kind of sibling to Vermont yeah. and yet also in the same family as Virginia because Oregon has some very progressive cities. Um, and as a state, it's, it's very forward thinking in terms of services and support and vision. And at the same time, similarly to, to Virginia, there are some very, um, very conservative pockets. And so you've mm-hmm. got very different perspectives about life and choices and history and work and support and governance all in one state. So we have, there's so much culture and history here. If we take a moment to slow down and start to really immerse ourselves in it with an open mind and with open eyes. So do you feel that empowered you to just empowered you further to talk to people from various backgrounds and stories and histories just because of that exposure, that immersement in all these different areas with those varied historical Mm -hmm. cultures and, and backgrounds do you feel it empowered you just to kind of be open even more to people from different backgrounds? It has. And at the same time, I, it also creates this opportunity for me to, um, to have so many different frames of reference of, you know, when somebody says, Oh, I grew up in the Northeast. I can like, we can have a conversation about that and I can, Mm -hmm. and I can start to understand or empathize with, that perspective and they can be like, and now I'm out here and it feels really different. So I think the fact that I have moved around allows me to relate with an awful lot of people in many different ways and start to build rapport, which means that we can step into deeper, more vulnerable conversations, whether or not it's in a one-on-one coaching format or in a workshop format when I'm talking about you know, our relationship with ourselves and our patterns of kind of running ourselves into the ground or what that looks like. So I think it's been a strength. Um, I know there are people in my life who keep saying, like, just stop moving. Like, can you just <laughs> plant? And I was like, well, you might plant for a while. So, yeah. But the Pacific Northwest definitely feels like home for me. Okay. Awesome. Now, considering everything you've told me and, and where you are now, looking back on your childhood, your experiences then, does it make sense? even though it wasn't clear from the get-go that this is exactly where you'd end up, based on your childhood experiences and how you grew up, does it make sense that you are where you are doing what you're doing? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Because another component um, of a lot of those early childhood stories were of my mother telling me about um, her time, you know, her summer abroad in Finland my sister talking about um, her time in Mexico when she was in high school. 
And even before some of that, my parents were in the Peace Corps um, from 1965 to 1967, and they essentially got married and spent their honeymoon in Peace Corps training. <laughs> so I grew up hearing about them living overseas, um, you know, when they were in their 20s and that experience and seeing all of the different people that they met in their Peace Corps group and in Uruguay in the country where they were serving and, and how all those connections like spanned their life. So the idea of travel, crossing cultures, curiosity, I think has been has been messaged to me from such a young age. And I may not have realized how deeply I had internalized that um, until I kind of got into undergrad, got into college, got into grad school, and then just took advantage of different opportunities that I created and said yes to them. Yeah. Because I'm a leadership junkie, um, what is it that leadership means to you? Mm, that's a big question. Um, we can come back to it. For me, leadership is trusting yourself. Leadership is having a very broad, wide table and inviting people in. Leadership is about listening and collaboration and taking in information from all different places and different perspectives, giving yourself an opportunity to distill it down and making the best decision that you can in that moment. And also recognizing that that can shift and being open to shifting and open to taking responsibility for bad decisions that we make. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's bringing humanity to it as well, which means um, we take mm -hmm. responsibility. We do the mea culpa. We bring people in um, being open to feedback and being constantly on a growth trajectory. Perfect. I love it. So why don't we dive into the book now? Can you introduce the book that we're going to be talking about? I can. Um, I am. And, and how your role in it, how your contribution yes. played out. So um, I have at different times, people have said to me, Nicole, you should write a book. And I was like, mm, yeah, no, not interested. Kind of tabled that. And I was in February, late February of this year, I was invited to be part of the eighth edition of Cracking the Rich Code. And this is a book series that started in March, 2019. And it was started by Jim Britt and Kevin Harrington, who are entrepreneurs and coaches and folks that many people know. And their mission when they launched this series was to bring together this community of co-authors who can speak into strategy and insights and lessons learned and wisdom gained. And most of us are entrepreneurs in this specific volume, which is volume eight. There are a lot more coaches, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. And it was an opportunity for me to link arms with other authors, get really thoughtful about what is something that I wanted to share and because this is a community effort, 
we all get to amplify one another's voices and elevate our voices and the work that we're doing. So the book was published in July and it's done really well um, on Amazon and on lo in lots of different categories. It's been and is actually still on the number one bestsellers in probably 30 plus categories in Australia, in the US, in the UK, in Canada. So it's doing really well. And to me, that is an indicator that people are looking for different voices and different takes on different mm. topics. Yeah, it's amazing. Those are some of my favorite books is when you have kind of an anthology, when you have various artists sharing their background. A few of the other guests that I've had on this series were part of those kind of book uh, books. I myself have contributed to one where you just have people from different, like, here's the main question. Here's the main focus that we have. Someone approaches you. I mean, that's, that's amazing when somebody approaches you for that kind of um, contribution. But it's yeah. great just to have that one overarching theme and how each person can contribute to that. I mm -hmm. love that. I love that. Yeah. It was um, it was a lot of fun. And I think one of the things that's been really exciting over the past couple months is leading up to the book coming out, you know, some of the co-authors, like we were in touch a little bit, like, how are you doing on your chapter? What's happening? And like, <laughs> Where are you at? Um, and since then, you know, we are, we are, connected on different channels. Um, we are supporting each other. We are doing kind of video conversations and masterclasses together. And there's a way that we are continuing to elevate one another. And that piece is something else that just feels really good. It's not about everyone being in their own silos and trying to do their own thing. It's we're all part of this project. And I've connected with a lot of the authors from previous volumes as well. So there's this community um, that's growing because they're actually already working on the next volume. Um, so there's mm. this growing community and people want to talk to each other. They want to support each other. They want to, um, you know, get on a chat, jump on a Zoom, talk about different things kind of in their life or in their business life. So there's this whole, it's almost like we've created our own mastermind, which is pretty spectacular. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I was talking to somebody um, just yesterday. We were texting back and forth. I checked in. We had a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and I just checked in to see how he's doing. Uh, and what I brought up to him, and we just talked about the conversation that we had. Like maybe back in the day, there was a networking conversation that was that might have gone like, this is what I do. This is what you do. Um, what can you get from me? What can I get for you? Or what can I share with you from my network so that we can get? But then there's like this evolving networking face or process. For me, it took hold during the pandemic um, when we were in those communities, Nicole, and you were being more open about who you were. You know, you're in your environment. You feel more comfortable than if you were at, you know, a, a bar or a restaurant at a networking event. Then you're going one by one and you have your elevator pitch and it's very, I don't know, just very, I don't know, scripted, I guess, you know. Mm -hmm. But with these communities that we've had where you kind of there's a speaker and then you can kind of chime in and everybody hears what you're saying, <clears throat> excuse me, at the same time, people were feeling more comfortable again because of their environment that they were in their home. They were more vulnerable, more open. 
and they got to talk about what they do for work, but it just seemed more, more genuine. And going back to the conversation that I had with my colleague, we just talked about how we were helping each other, but it was different. It's evolved. It's not what it used to be networking. It's more, it really is. How did I put it to him? Collaborative curiosity. Mm. where you're just sharing what pumps you up, what energizes you. You're sharing something that maybe the other person hasn't heard, not mm -hmm. from your business, not where you're coming from for your business or on, or going concern, but really about, I think what I found with networking recently is it's not, it's mostly about the energy that you have for the work that you want to do and what, who you want to meet that it's, yeah, I'm, I'm in a business. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. And I obviously I need to make that work. But what's made it so valuable today, it seems like what you're saying also is just this collaborative curiosity, this collaborative energy where you're finding your tribe and it's not a yes tribe where it's like, yes, 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 they're supporting you, but like people that you can bounce that energy off of. Mm -hmm. And I think that piece is to me is so precious mm. and in my mind, one of the gifts of the pandemic and of COVID has been, it has stopped everyone in their tracks in different ways. And it's been this wake up call to, hmm, like the entire planet is vulnerable and every person on this planet has, has can have a sim similar vulnerability. And I think that sort of overarching blanket, even though everyone's experience was really different, resulted in conversations either starting at a different place or going to a very different level. Um, and I think it's one of the things that we've also carried forward, even though the pandemic isn't necessarily over yet, we have yet to cross the finish line. It's something that I think has really carried forward. And it, I hope that it is something that becomes integrated into how we work and how we live and how we connect and how we gather because people were able to say, how are you doing? And they really wanted to know. Mm. And there was space to take a breath and answer honestly. Yeah. And that was, people held space for that. And they held space for people to say, my business was thriving. Everything has, has like absolutely ground to a halt. I don't know what I'm going to do. And other people were able to step into their own vulnerability and say, wow, I'm in the same place. And yeah. so the conversations went from pretty transactional and kind of surfacy to this deeper place when you have had people that are willing to be quiet and take a breath and yeah. trust themselves to say, Somebody asked me how I am and I'm actually really going to answer. Or they ask me like how my work life is and I'm going to yeah. answer honestly and authentically instead of having it be this polished thing in a room with 40 or 50 other people. And we're yeah. bringing humanity back and we're taking connection to a different level. And it's the direction that we absolutely need to go in and we need to continue to march in that direction purposefully. Yeah. So many, so many things that you just said stand out. I mean, from that space, you know, some of the forms that you and I were, were, were partners to mm -hmm. were, were audience members to what they allowed. I mean, I was sharing more in those that I was sharing with friends and family. 
Right. Not, and it wasn't intentional. It was just when you when you attend a certain forum and yeah. a discussion, if the facilitator prompts you with certain questions and people start opening up, you start talking about yourself. And it's like, Jesus, these people know more about my life, my life and how I feel uh, than people in, in my life. Um, and it was intentional. You know, the, the speaker, mm-hmm. whoever was facilitating, they just they set that environment. So it wasn't that mm-hmm. I had less trust for my family. It's just kind of like you said, even before the pandemic, you might have kept the facade or maybe not opened up as much with the people in your world. But yep. then the pandemic came and, and as you so eloquently said, it, it changed the rules. Um, but yeah. And, and I think for certain people that will stick around because mm-hmm. I, I, I already found that the value that my friend, my colleague took from our conversation stemmed from me just, you know, not laying bare everything at his feet, yeah. but just, speaking honestly about my mental health mm. issues and the pressure that I felt as for myself, you know, self, self, uh, self pressure, I guess, as a father, as a husband, what does that mean? So on and so forth. But hopefully people maintain what they learned if they did see that change in themselves during the yeah. pandemic, because that's what leads to that uh, collaborative curiosity is mm-hmm. when I can kind of share more of my humanity, just truthfully. Yeah. It just, it elevates you because you don't feel that pressure to, to restrain anything. And it, mm-hmm. it elevates the conversation because the, the partner that you're dancing with and whatever, whatever it may be, sees more of you, sees that energy, sees that unlocking of that energy. So everything you just um, talked about in the last couple of minutes is just, it's been mind blowing, but uh, a blessing as you, as you said yourself. Yeah. So may, may we stay the course in some of those, in some of those things. And may that be, um, I'm, I'm also so cognizant and thoughtful about like the great resignation and, mm, and of course what has happened. And part of me, like from that leadership lens, I start to wonder if leaders embrace more of who they are authentically and bring more of themselves to the table. How can that impact retention and how can that decrease turnover? Because so much of what I have heard and read and all of the studies that are coming out is, you know, people are not feeling seen. They're not feeling heard. They're underpaid. Um, That's certainly a big pull factor for an awful lot of people to say, I'm going to shift careers. And at the same time, it's also there's been ample time and space to actually take a bit of a breath and for people to ask themselves really powerful questions. Wow, I was commuting, I had an hour and a half commute like without traffic to and from work every day and I've been working from home and what has opened up in my life because I've Mm. been at home? Wow, I'm actually, I have a different relationship with my children and with my Mm -hmm. partner and I'm doing more things that I really love and I'm feeling healthier. And so there's been this whole upheaval and it's a powerful leadership moment across the board to say, what is the culture that I want to nurture? How am I going to do it? And how do I need to grow into this new version of myself as a leader of my team, of my organization, um, of my institution, of you know, my spiritual community, whatever it is. So there's, yeah, leadership. And I know it's a topic that (laughs) that you and I are both really interested in. Like, there's a powerful leadership moment here. And and I really, my hope is that more 
leaders will pause and seek some counsel and talk yeah. to their colleagues and say, what is working? How are you shifting? And yeah. to have that be the, that be the lens through which we think about it. Like, how are you shifting now? Not how are you yeah. staying the same? Because staying the same is going to give us more of what we've had, which is staffing shortages and culture issues and people burning out and running themselves into the ground. And this whole idea of kind of quiet quitting where you, mm. where then you just show up and you're like, I will punch the clock and I will not do anything else. So yeah. Yeah. it's a lot happening and it's an interesting time to be leading anything. Yeah. It's interesting because it starts off as like the great resignation, but I kind of back up to see a greater picture where I see mm. like a great realignment. Absolutely. Where, where people are moving towards where they should be for themselves. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be perfect. Their mind's going to evolve. Their needs are going to evolve. But for the moment, for me, realignment just means you're working towards alignment. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. you have to land in the perfect spot. And even the, the spot that you may want to leave, somebody behind you may want that spot. And mm -hmm. it, it's also realignment for the leader. Okay, I had this great person. Why did they leave? What can I change? And mm -hmm. again, it realigns them to think about, okay, what do I need to do to make this a, a better mm -hmm. environment for the next person? Again, it's never to say you need to nail it from the get-go. You don't need to have it perfect right away, but at least show that you have intention to work towards something better, even if little by little, 1%. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, but it, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to see when you talk about the great resignation. I, I've, I've seen that where mm -hmm. people just say, this isn't for me. And the great thing about them leaving a place that they they're not happy with is that when they go to that next pl next place that next place is going to reap the benefits going to reap the mm -hmm. dividends because this person finally gets to pour into their environment what they want to right um but yeah it's 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 valuable it's there and hopefully we do again as with the everything else from the pandemic hopefully we take those lessons forward so Nicole, what can you tell me without giving away too much? What can you tell me about your chapter and what you contributed to this book? Mm, um, I, don't, I don't want you to give it all away. I want people to buy the book, but what can people <laughs> find in terms of what you share from your experience in your career? They will find um, some key insights and lessons that I learned along the way um, as I worked my way through leadership and they will hear about some of the things that were tangled and webbed together that I never really saw a connection to. Um, I think most importantly, um, I some of our programming when we're really young sets the stage for so much of our life. And I didn't, I had no idea that messages when I was younger and my relationship with myself and whether or not that I felt like I was enough or worthy or complete or any of that thinking, how that would impact how I would lead and how feeling, how having wounds in one part of my life meant that I was going to be overcompensating in my professional life, trying to heal it. I, I, I could not join those connections in the moment. And at the same time, as semesters progressed and academic years progressed, what became clear to me was that early messages 
habits in one part of my life. Like how we do one thing is how we do everything. And that did not, I did not join those dots early in my career. I was like, oh no, this is personal life. This is myself as a daughter. This is myself as a friend. This mm -hmm. is in my professional life. Yeah, no, <laughs> just plain no. Yeah. How we do one thing is how we do everything. So when I was doubting myself, I tried to overcompensate with work and that set me on a trajectory of running very quickly to this very steep edge of complete and utter burnout. And I had to figure out who I was, what was true and how I wanted to be as a person. And when I figured that out, leadership challenges decreased, leadership got easier um, but it's all connected and navigating our inner landscape is the first step. Yeah. It's a lot of self-work. It's a lot of oh, self-work at the beginning. I think a lot of people maybe just look for those, those quick fixes, like, mm. you know, who can I go see? Who can I talk to? Yeah. Um, who is it I need to meet? How do I change my, my, my inner circle or this or that? And those things do play out, but mm -hmm. it's a lot of internal work from what I've gathered from, you know, just in my own life. And then talking mm -hmm. to my guests on here, it's like, you need to stop. You need to think about where you are, where you've been, yep. what your story is, understanding that, because like I've said before, so much of what ails us now is that we don't come face to face with that. You know, we, we give up too much of who we are to fit a job mm -hmm. description or somebody yep. else's expectations, society's expectations. And for me, my clients, when I see them really reach that aha moment, when they start feeling fulfillment is when they've gone back and looked at what they've left on the table, yeah. pieces of them that they've left behind to, to appease others, but they mm -hmm. gave up on themselves. So they just go back, pick those pieces up, bring it forward. And there's just more of a refreshing feeling in their, even in their demeanor, when they're mm -hmm. talking to me, I, yep. I just talked to a client. Um, he's one that's come up a lot in this conversation. Um, when I first met him, he seemed like detached. He seemed distant. And now he's just happy because he, just, <laughs> he started working with me like a year and a half ago and he quit his job like three months ago. But now he's wow. in a job that he's, he's like, this is what I was meant to do. Mm. This is what, and yep. he's just got this pep in his step. It's like, I don't even recognize you from when I first met you. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot of self-work and it's, it's prioritizing yourself, you know, not that at the expense of others, um, not taking from others, but making sure that's, it's that self-care. It's making sure you get what you need um, before you can really help anybody else or do anything for anybody else. It's amazing how many people, all of us guilty, forget that sometimes. And how easy is it to, to stay in that place of forgetting that, right? Because we just, life keeps moving and our schedules are full and our days are full and we just kind of keep going. It's Monday and it's Friday and it's the weekend and it's Monday. And it's, it's we are so much creatures of habit. And yeah. when we slow down enough for enough of a period of time to really get clear about how we show up for ourselves determines our capacity and how we show up for other people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about, um, you know, as, as a Dean, as an educational leader and 
And there are days where I just was tired and frustrated and feeling a lot of that overwhelm. And the version of myself that I brought to everybody that I was around was not, was like the depleted version of myself. It wasn't me being focused and rested and clear headed and energized and excited. It was this version of me that was sort of like, hmm, like C level work, right? It was like, yeah, here's this, like, here's the C version of Nicole. Yeah. And what I wanted and my intention was to bring my A game. And at the same time, if I wasn't showing up for myself and figuring out how to say yes and how to say no, which was a whole another adventure, um, really honoring what I needed. And there are times when it's like, you need to just walk out of the office <laughs> because the quality of what you're doing right now, terrible. Like you, if you, if you stay and you push through it, you're going to have to redo it. And so some of it was, how do I start to really tune into what I need? How do I become like my biggest advocate and champion? Because mm -hmm. when I'm that for myself, I can do that in such a vibrant, beautiful, inclusive way for everybody else. But when I'm tired and I'm not doing that, then what I bring is like, ugh. Yeah. It's, it's like the dirty dishwater version. It's like, I don't want to bring the dirty dishwater. I want to bring like the clear, bubbly, you know, dishwater to the table here. And I just couldn't do it. But I had to figure that out because nobody else was going to say that to me. I had to figure it out. And I wish that I had had a guide or a colleague or a coach at that time who could have partnered with me to say, let's slow it down and let's figure it out, which is also one of the biggest reasons why I'm doing the work that I am right now, because you get to hold up the mirror and hold space for people to say, where am I really strong and where am I falling down and what needs to heal and what is screaming for my attention? Because when I pay attention to it, everything gets better and easier. Absolutely. Nicole, what, um, what other lessons can people find in this book? Like what, just not all the chapters, but what kind of mm -hmm. other themes can people find in the book aside from your chapter? One of the things that has been really interesting to me as I have like read it and reread it is um, there's, gosh, seven different chapters that are in different ways talking about mindset and purpose and mm -hmm. alignment, if you will. Um, and so to go into those chapters again and again, like there's synergy there, but there's really different perspectives about how do you shift your mindset and what mindset impacts and the power of our thinking and our intentions and what works, what happens when our intentions and our words and our actions line up and what happens when they battle. So that's been one of the really interesting things for me is just to hear different perspectives around mindset and the power of it and shifting it and to hear people's perspectives about living out of alignment and living in that place of conflict where like mm -hmm. words and actions and heart and mind were fighting instead of walking in the same direction and to hear their strategies for starting to make the shifts. 
what i know it's it's a chapter it's not a full book um which i know you're going to put out eventually i can imagine (laughs) but in any case in, in writing this particular contribution was there anything that you learned in that process anything maybe you're thinking on your material how it may have evolved and and maybe just thinking through who might read it is there anything that stood out that maybe changed in you or that you learned just from that writing the chapter Hmm. and listen if if it's if it's fully just an expression of yourself and it was putting it to paper and and there was no um there was no lesson at all i mean that's that's completely fine as well just always curious saying yes to this project was such confirmation to me that when we feel those butterflies in our belly, when we're nervous, when we're like, yikes, I don't know, um, that we should really just do it Mm. and say yes. Because I think for me, it was the, I was invited to be part of it. I took a few days to think about it. And I was like, do I want to do this? Do I not? And I had those butterflies of this puts you out there. Like, this is going to be published. Anybody who buys this has an opportunity if they, you know, read it from start to finish to learn about you and to learn about some of the things that have been hard for you. And the more that those butterflies in my belly kept flying, I kept thinking, this is why you say yes. You Mm -hmm. say yes, because there's energy there and potentially what you're sharing can hit home for someone else and it can help someone else join the dots and go, wow, like me too, or holy crap, I thought I was the Mm. only person. And it's the, it's the lesson that says when you're nervous about something, that's actually the indicator that is pulling you forward to do it Mm. and to just lean in and say, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. You just never know. I mean, I've heard it just from, posts that i've shared things that i've written like you just never know who's gonna feel seen in hearing you not even convey the general message but even use particular words Mm -hmm. you know your words are going to resonate more with some than others just because of of some kind of reconciliation between how you write and how they think Mm -hmm. or it might open up the mind of somebody that doesn't think in the way that you write or you're expressing yourself but you just never know Who's going to see it? Who's going to read it? Who's going to need to see and read it? Exactly. You just never know. You just never know. So that's, that's amazing. That's an amazing sensation to feel. And it's, it's great that you took that on. Um, Congratulations on that. Just because you felt like that, those nerves at the beginning, but you said, you know, to hell with it. This is my story and it can help others. So here I go. Yeah. So what do you think? I, I joked previously, but what do you think about what might be next for your writing? Hmm. Hmm. Have you thought about it or no? I can't I be thought the f- you're not the first person to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, you're not the first person to ask. Um there are there are a couple things that I'm that I am thinking about. One of them is um is spending some time doing some writing around the leadership topic around um kind of the ego mind, like the dance between ego and soul and how that impacts how we lead and how finding that way to balance both ego and soul in our leadership can be the transformational and inspired leadership that we need right now. 
That's one of the, that's one of the big things. I love that. I love it because it sounds like it speaks to the soul being like the humanity and just the ego being, you know, being proud of what you are. So many people are afraid to come across as egotistical or too confident that they kind of back up. So I think that'd be a great, if, if I am interpreting what you're saying correctly, it's, it's, it'd be great to see that kind of walkthrough of how to balance those two. And you, you are correct in, in one piece of it. And I think another component is the ego mind wants us to be active and doing and kind of constantly in motion. And when, and there's a time and a place for that specific kind of leadership, right? To just be like, let's go and let's keep moving things forward. And there's also this part of us this soul, this intu this intuition, this gut piece that encourages us to pace ourselves, slow down and give time for reflection and be more thoughtful and more intentional instead of just getting it done to get it done um, yeah. and changing our pace and recalibrating how we make decisions, recalibrating how we create vision and mission and purpose and how we work. So part of it is exactly what you said. And another side of it is this, what we are doing and who we are being and how do we marry those. So we sustain ourselves in the process. Mm -hmm. So we have sustainable leadership that, that crafts and nurtures and cultivates a culture where people are seen and heard and valued and know that they are part of something bigger that is going to be doing great work in the world. I love it. Can't wait to read it and interview, <laughs> interview you on it. There you go. Um, That'll be our next conversation. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. That'd be amazing. Uh, and then when it comes to, I guess, if you wanted to tie this up in a message to anyone, anyone listening, regardless of what kind of industry they're in, because I mean, to me, all these lessons are transferable. Yes. How would you convey, uh, like in a neat package, the, the lesson that you're trying to get through in your chapter? That our life doesn't happen to us that we are in the driver's seat more often than we realize and that the sweet spot is leaning into agency, reflection, and choice. Love it. Yeah. Let, I mean, so much of what you shared with me in this conversation is just I think it always was there for the taking. It always was there for us all to learn, but especially with the pandemic, the way the world has changed, I think it's more timely than ever. So thank you so much for sharing those messages. I am so grateful to have been with you today for this conversation, to be able to reconnect with you in this way, because we have seen each other in some different formats. And I have just enjoyed being in community and in dialogue with you today and excited for our next conversation. Absolutely. So Nicole, what are, what are you up to these days? Is there anything that you want to share with uh, anyone listening and watching? I started a podcast with a fellow coach a few months ago called Midlife Calling. And awesome. it is, 
It is our conversation about celebrating where we are at this point in midlife because we are both women in our 50s and how we are creating a life that is joyful and filled with learning and playful and purposeful. So I would love for people to tune into that and you can find us on Amazon Music, on Apple, on Spotify, on Anchor, and on Google. So I would love for people to absolutely tune into that. We just recorded another episode yesterday and talked a lot about like those early messages and the power that they, you know, those early messages in life and how they kind of get into that cellular level and mm -hmm. shape us and yeah. the different choices that we have at different points in our lives to write another story. Yeah, I'll definitely share that. Uh, anything that has to do with really having a conversation about uh, how to be proactive, proactive, mm -hmm. intentional, creating, designing, and not letting it just happen to you, I'm, I'm all for that. Yep. But again, thank you, Nicole, for sitting down with me to talk about the book, Cracking the Rich Code, with your chapter entitled Escaping the Leadership Trap, My Journey to and Through Burnout. Yep. Again, thank you so much. Love it. Have a great day, John. Take care. And if there's anything that I might have missed, uh, there's so much to cover that I should have asked Nicole. Uh, please let me know. Send me a message. I'll reach out to her to see if I can get an answer. But in the meantime, thank you for watching and listening. Subscribe if you're watching and listening. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Bye.